Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mary Spender and you are listening to Tuesday Talks, the podcast. And I'm very, very proud to say that this podcast is brought to you by DistroKid. DistroKid is the service I personally use to put music into online stores and streaming platforms. These include iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, Google Play, Amazon and Tidal, plus many, many more. In fact, this Friday I am releasing Run Your Mouth, the second single from the Lone Wolf EP, using DistroKid and I'm excited. It's already ready to go and um, yeah, I've had a lot of help from their team just to get everything in order. Their customer service is ridiculous as always and ridiculously good, I mean. But DistroKid collects royalties and payments but sends 100% of those earnings to the artist. Instead, all you pay is $19.99 a year, but with the sign-up link in the description, you'll get 7% off. So you can check the liner notes for the description if you just want to click the link, or you can write this down right now, distrokid.com forward slash VIP forward slash Mary Spender, and you will get that 7% off. So let's talk about music and content ID, um, which basically means you're protecting your music using a platform like YouTube, which obviously I use every every week, all the time. Um, Many musicians are worried about submitting their music to Google and YouTube Music because they think it will cause problems with content ID, which can get super complicated, Um, but YouTube Music is a service in which subscribers to YouTube Music can stream your music just as they'd use other streaming services. So it kind of follows my rule, like be all places, be everywhere, make sure that you aren't limiting your audience. Um, I know how people feel about streaming services, but really that is where the people are and you want to get your music heard. So oftentimes people will get this confused with YouTube Content ID, a service which flags a video within YouTube, which contains audio from a song that is not owned by the video uploader. The music you distribute to YouTube Music through DistroKid will not be identified by Content ID. So this means fans will be able to use your music within their videos without getting a copyright strike. And basically, you know, that's just more exposure for you. You kind of don't want to upset people when it comes to monetization and all that sort of stuff. Um, It's all rather sensitive. So, however, if you want Content ID to detect your music, so if those people don't have permission um, and you don't want to go down that route, then there is a little button to press when you're uploading your release and for an extra $4.95, that's dollars again, a year or uh, and 20% of YouTube ad revenue from the matches they detect, DistroKid will notify and pay you if your music is ever used in videos that you weren't aware of. So let's get into some updates before we get into this podcast. Um, a conversation with Adam Neely, which happened last week uh, while he was over in the UK. Um, Lone Wolf physical copies, physical signed copies are available uh, on my website, store.maryspender.com. And you guys have been incredible. I've been completely overwhelmed by the response. I can't believe it. I love that people are, you know, still still wanting something physical as well. Um, and also, you know, you are streaming it on online services too, which is also incredible. It makes um, it makes my plan of action of releasing the singles feel like it's really, really working. And that's quite exciting because I think I'm just going to follow that route. I love bypassing what the traditional route of the music industry is and, um, you know, coming up with this release plan. It's just been really, really exciting. So thank you for purchasing your signed copies. Thank you for streaming it online. Really, really love you all dearly. Um, I'm also... 
going on tour very soon, which I will be able to announce hopefully in the next few days on all my platforms online. Um, but the one thing that is most definitely confirmed is that my London show on the 14th of December, tickets are on sale now. Again, you can head to my website, maryspender.com. Um, and yeah, that's just exciting. It's going to be full band. I'm going to play an acoustic set and then I'm going to do a full band rock electric guitar set. I cannot wait. I cannot wait to get performing live. Um, and hopefully it's just, you know, the start of things to come. I have a vision for this and, um, yeah, it's just going to be exciting. It's quite an intimate show. So get your tickets. Um, they're available on C tickets, but go to maryspender.com for the link. 14th of December. It's a Saturday night. Get a babysitter. Get, you know, get a hotel in London. If you don't live in London, <laughs> make an event of it. God, that sounds very arrogant. Anyway, um, also, yes, second single of the Lone Wolf EP will be available on streaming services from this Friday very very excited to have run your mouth out in the world number two it's coming around pretty quickly all six will be out by january the 10th and uh yeah love you all dearly here is the show let's get into the podcast with adam neely hi my name is mary spender and you are listening to tuesday 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 talks oh hello hello check one two hello 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 Hello, everybody. <laughs> What's up, everybody? It's your boy. I'm recording that. Hey. This is just how we're going to start. This is the best thing about a podcast. You can yeah, just you actually just start. Oh, my God. And start in the weirdest possible <laughs> fashion ever. It's so early in the morning. My voice is actually like this. It is early. We had originally planned to do this with a beer and instead we're doing it with a coffee, which I think is far more professional. It's way more. It would not have turned out all right last night <laughs> no it wouldn't um adam has been in the uk for anyone that is wondering what the hell is he doing here what am i doing here i just um, what what are you doing here actually uh, we were saying the other night like um i was playing this jazz festival in cork ireland and then i just sort of stumbled across you know your place as i just like flew to the uk just like wandered in i just day. found you in tesco that was yeah there. oh yeah 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 i was like looking for some cheese or something you're like, Mary Spender, by the way, can I crash at your place for a week? And I was just like, sure. If you don't <laughs> mind me working in the entire time, not spending any quality time with you apart from last night. That, that's all right. I mean, I got, I had vlogs to make. We all have vlogs to make. Everybody yeah. has a vlog to make. I mean, it's just nonstop. It never stops. It never does. That's no. the brilliant thing. Like we were talking last night, like, hey, what's your five-year plan? <laughs> what do you expect to be doing five years from now? Are you going to be making weekly YouTube videos five years from now? And then it dawned on us. <laughs> it's like, oh, that doesn't yeah. sound good. <laughs> <laughs> we probably will be, though, because four years ago, that's when you started. Well, that's when I started doing it weekly. It was about four years ago. It was yes. June of 2015. And yeah, I, back then I had no concept of what it would actually turn into. I didn't think that I would actually be doing it now, which is kind of crazy to think. Um, if I knew then that I would still be doing it, I don't know. I don't know. I always sort of wonder if the 2016 version of me, well, 20, 2015 when I was watching Casey Neistat mm -hmm. and like getting obsessed with all his videos, that all that sort of dream of being a YouTuber, um, realizing that there obviously was an element of hard work behind what he was doing, but it did look so like beautiful and, and 
It looked just, effortless. It looked it effortless. Yeah. And then obviously now he talks about it and he's like, yeah, it wasn't effortless at all. Um, it destroyed my marriage, <laughs> you know, like all this stuff, which is obvious to see in retrospect. Uh, yeah. But for somebody who has no concept of what actually goes into making all this stuff and like the mindset that's necessary to create week after week, it does look effortless. It looks like amazing and all, all, like a lot of fun. Um, so it is, it is very intoxicating. The idea of like being a YouTuber, especially for mm -hmm. a young person, especially mm -hmm. back then too, um, before like all the burnout happened and then, you know, um, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I'm just glad that we're not daily vloggers. That oh would, God. that would be terrible. I think what we're doing, well, I know that what I'm doing is definitely sustainable because it's not even, um, at the same level as what you're doing in terms of the video editing. And I've tried it. I've tried the scripted incredibly uh, detailed videos. And I mean, those are good. Your uh, Katy Perry video is very good. The DistroKid series is very good. Thank you. Um, Thanks to DistroKid for yeah. sponsoring this podcast. Oh, is it? Oh, <laughs> yeah, oh. it is. <laughs> Do I get a cut of this or? No. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, there is something to be said about like workflow too, because, mm -hmm. you know, I was actually just talking to you recently about it's very difficult to do scripts because you have to like edit them and then go through the whole process of like, is the wording perfectly and then deliver it perfectly. And to do that week yeah. after week as a single entity without like script, you know, editors or without people who are like proofreading or helping you along in the process. It's just a lot of stuff week after week after week. Um, that said to hear for somebody listening to this podcast who isn't in this scene, it, I feel like it can get very tiring of people complaining about like how much stuff, how much work goes into creating a piece of content. I know, I know. But honestly, guys, this is our world. Like our world is not the world of, you know, the 10 minute piece of 10 minute video that you see at the end of the day. Our world is the obsession, the thought process, basically like the, the chaos of just like, trying to get that video out. That's all our headspace is in. Our headspace isn't in that 10 minutes, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Our headspace is in all this stuff that we're now complaining about to each other. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think we're, <laughs> we're not complaining. We are allowed yeah. to talk about it. That's true. Like, because, um, I mean, um, is your mum a nurse? Uh, she's a voice teacher. My no, sister, voice, your my sister, sister is a social worker. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yes. So um, my mum is a nurse. I was just you know, projecting my life onto you there. Um, no, yes, your mum is a voice teacher, a very successful voice teacher. Um, my mother, yeah, I go on about it a lot, uh, that it's a stark comparison to what I do for a living. She works in hospice. She is a sister, a nurse in the NHS. Um, the realities of that job are tough, harrowing. Um, she has beautiful moments, obviously, but always, you know, it's um, overshadowed by, like, sadness. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, and you know, real, um, they are so qualified and they are so, um, caring and just how they get through their days. I don't know. And I always compare our lives to that. Um, however, I have had really nice discussions with her where I've wondered about the, the point of what we're doing. Why, why should we exist? <laughs> why, why, why am I worrying about YouTube videos? And, um, she just creates, you know, she just says we're creating stuff, um, that is escapism. We've spoken about escapism mm -hmm. before. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole again because we have determined that there's slightly different meanings in our different countries. Mm. Um, but it it did it does make me feel better about being able to talk about it. I don't think we're complaining. We are just whining. <laughs> we're whinging. To use we're just term. whinging a little bit. <laughs> um, but no, actually, I think 
um, what we are doing and what it's done for our careers is um, is really liberating and um, exciting for other musicians to see us do it. I think the thing that we're talking about recently because of us both being at events where we're talking to young singer-songwriters or musicians um, is they are asking us questions now um, about certain things that we know the answer to. We're telling them the answer. The answer is very, very simple, but they might not want to hear it just yet. Well, I mean, this is the big thing, is that the people who can honestly deliver the answer in terms of how things are for the content creation economy, which is creating video, media, creating podcasts, um, in addition to music, the, the number of people who can honestly give like the correct answer to that, there's not that many. Because mm. there are a fair number of music YouTubers, but like 100, 200 maybe total in the world who are doing it like regularly and being able to like make a living making YouTube content. There's not a lot of us. And when people have questions about that, I think it's important to talk about some of these things. That said, because we have this like platform to talk about, you know, the issues of like YouTube or the issues of just content, um, you're going to be hearing about it a lot regardless of whether or not you want to go into like YouTube. Um, yeah, it's been interesting, like, because you, you recently gave a panel and I've done a couple of master classes. People are very, very eager to under, like, understand what it's all about. And people are very smart, especially young people. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, but I think it's kind of incumbent upon us to, to teach or to tell, like, what, what the experience is, tell what the best practices are. Yeah. Um, you know, a big part of being a musician historically was you would become you would first apprentice under a master, like in many, many like regions and many cultures, you would apprentice under a master, you would learn and study under them. And the master's duty, in addition to being like an amazing musician, was to teach. Like at the end, your, your job wasn't just to play music, it was to mm. teach. And I feel like in a lot of ways, once we're learning all this stuff about YouTube and all this stuff, our job is to teach, our job is to tell other people how to do it. Um, maybe not necessarily in the same master apprentice kind of like setup, but I think it's like a civic duty on a certain level, which is kind of something that I just was thinking about right now. And now yeah, I'm... Yeah, I think, um, <laughs> <laughs> I, think uh, I also believe that, but it's not necessarily, uh, on my part, it's not me trying to, and I don't think with you, you're not trying to like force anyone into this. It's just, no. if people ask you questions, there's only so much oh, you know, I don't know about that, you know, you, you know, or I'm not the right person to ask when you ri literally are the person to ask. You can put that down on the glass. Okay, yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, so I think it's um, only natural that you get to a point. Also, we are the type of personality that can share. Like we are very open, honest, sharing people because we have to be, because otherwise it's just not scalable. Like to be a YouTuber... And to not want to like um, tell people things, and I mean, I'm a massive oversharer. I mm. tell everyone my life story in five minutes, but you know, we got five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, everyone knows it already. Um, so I, yeah, I think it's good. Are we making sense? I wonder if we're making I don't sense. Know. Hey guys, remember to smash that like button. If we're making <laughs> oh sense. <laughs> Comment. Uh, it's really good for our analytics and our algorithm if you smash that like button. That um, is the nicest thing about this podcast <laughs> is that I do not worry about analytics or algorithm or anything like that. Oh my God. We're, um, not, we're not filming either. This is so, this is so cushy. I know. Do we even exist if we're not filming? Oh my God. This is like, 
There's so little gear as well, like mm. a little recorder, two microphones, coffee. It's mm. it's perfect. The I think coffee is probably the most important thing. The sound <laughs> of this coffee, like the it's very warm. <laughs> it's a warm sound. We're going off on a tangent. Okay. Um, one thing that I did want to talk to you about was uh, my favorite saying at the moment. A career is defined by the things you don't do just as much as the things you do. Um, we have... You do do. You, oh, God. <laughs> Sorry, you, you had, had me to on do as that, a... <laughs> you American. Um, yes, uh, the things we do. Um, so that comes into... Uh, and, you know, on this panel that I was talking at BBC Introducing was about um, making a living. And yes, there are certain things that you take on. Like for me, it's sponsored videos. I've been taking on a lot of sponsored videos because I've been having a lot of um, interesting companies actually come to me and work with me on the thing and give me the freedom to be able to do it. But it feels like it's sort of come to a head where it's like, am I doing too many? Am I going to alienate my audience? Um, and then your perspective, uh, um, perspective, yes, uh, on what you do and who you um, really make your stuff for and who you um, feel accountable towards and that's your patreon supporters yeah uh shout out to my patreon supporters i'm shouting them out wherever i can <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna shout out mine too yeah um, uh, <laughs> because they they literally have changed our lives and everything but i just sort yeah. of wonder uh, and i come off uh turning something down that was really cool just had to say no because it just wasn't the right fit um tell me about something you've turned down without naming names without screwing up any relationships oh yeah well in, i mean i turn down a lot of um like sponsored videos sometimes i take them for reasons of literally funding like funding big projects i will take sponsors mainly for that reason but for the most part i i kind of keep it with patreon um yeah one of the things that i think about is like what do i what do i want to watch in a youtube video like what do i want to watch do i feel like weird if somebody i really enjoy is uh like taking a sponsorship that doesn't like fit or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And so I've always tried to make videos and things that I personally really, you know, would want to watch and like really get excited about watching. Yeah. And shout out to Patreon. I get to do that every week without worrying about sponsors and worrying about ad revenue because ad revenue on YouTube is garbage and uh, it's not reliable at all. So, yeah, I mean, thinking about saying yes to things, you know, in the beginning of your career, in the beginning of our careers, we said yes to everything mm -hmm. because it's necessary. It's a point of survival. You have to say yes because otherwise nothing else will come. Uh, waiting for something to happen is not a good way of starting a career. And by saying yes to everything that comes along, new opportunities are definitely arise. There is kind of a limit to that, though, and it's very difficult early on to know what the limit to that is like when should you say yes to a gig should you say yes to like a really high paying cruise ship gig that you'll be away for like a year and it's with really dark and jaded people and it's just like not very uh, like artistically rewarding uh maybe not even if it's very high highly paid because that will change you in a way that's not good it's not conducive for your own mental health and it's not good for your career either but it might be tempting because of the money Mm -hmm. And you also might not know what uh, other opportunities might arise from it. Maybe it's like really terrible people on the cruise ship, but maybe you meet somebody that will then give you another gig later and then that will turn into a, a much more positive session career. So it's difficult to say, 
but I think it's important at the beginning of anybody's career and anybody's like stage of being a musician, of being a YouTuber, being whatever, to be very cognizant of what it is exactly you're saying yes to. Yeah. Like exactly and really analyze, like really think about it. Um, you know, I said yes to a bunch of really poorly paid gigs, but with my buddies and the music was fun. I will, con- I will continually to do that from like now until my grave because I realize that that feeds me in a very real way. Yeah. Um, hanging out with my friends and playing music, forget it. Like that's amazing. But, um, you know, there are other opportunities which aren't quite as clear cut, I guess. And it, it's the same for music as it is YouTube. And I think if I was to give myself earlier self um, advice, it would be to be just more conscious of it because I, you know, the possibility of burnout is it's very real <clears throat> yeah because it's when you're a one-man band mm-hmm. like you are like i i sort of wonder did people really realize that you are everything behind your videos mm. you don't have an editor nope. you don't have a scriptwriter. Nope. everything you know from you know you, you um uploading the other night and just you know uh, it's just it's just everything is behind uh just you and and i i feel the same way like i i would like to think one day i will have a team and maybe that's um on the horizon but uh right now it's actually only makes sense for me to do everything myself um yes the one thing the one gig that i want to get onto we've we've had brief discussions about it but we've both worked in musicals oh yeah, yeah and that yeah. was uh <laughs> that was a big way up for me because that happened i started youtube videos but they were just um cover videos me playing guitar and then uh, I got an email because someone had watched them through my university so it wasn't like completely out of the blue uh they'd passed on the contact detail my contact details to someone who worked in a musical was writing a musical um and yeah then suddenly it happened and it was 42 shows in London off West End but um in Finsbury Park and um it was a real challenge for me because mm. it was two hours solid guitar playing. It wasn't like a normal musical. It was a brand new musical written called um, the Busking Opera, the Busker's Opera, mm. the Busking Opera, the Busker's Opera. Mm. Um, and it was, it was such fun. Met so many people. I actually showed you an old vlog from oh, it yeah. last night. Yeah. Um, and just watching that again, it's just back on my mind about what that was and how that changed me and what that actually led to. Because taking that, that was so out of my comfort zone. And really, really hard work. Mm. Like, I don't have to lie about that. It was really, really hard work. Very challenging for me, um, mentally and musically. Um, I met some people through that that helped me in a different way. Like, even whether it was just friendship conversations, but then also contacts. Um, So I'm so glad that I took that gig, even though it was um, not even in Bristol where I was living. It was in London. had to sleep on a kitchen floor for three months mm. but it was like the it was the grind it was the hustle it was cool um have you did you do it off broadway so yeah i mean i never did an off-broadway run i've recorded a couple off-broadway cast albums because a lot of the time off-broadway pits will be just dr- like electronic drums and keyboard just to save money sorry come yeah. closer to the microphone okay right here <laughs> um okay yeah just to save money um they will just do electronic keyboard electric drums and then for the cast album they'll like add all the bills and whistles Mm -hmm. so i was a bell and whistle 
Um, in New York, they have this uh, thing called the cabaret scene, which is there's a couple of these venues like 54 Below and the Lori Beachman Theater and a couple others. And I was very heavily involved in that for several years where I was playing upright bass behind like all of these musical theater singers that were putting on these small little shows, I guess. It was kind of just like these showcases of songs. And it was a great scene. It was amazing. I had so much fun. The money was good. The people were amazing. The talent was incredible. I've played behind, uh, I think I started counting, like four or five alphabas, like on from Wicked, mm-hmm. like the, the leads alphabet. Um, I've played Defying Gravity as their bass player in like the cabaret band, like a bunch of times. It's awesome hearing that talent. Like it's incredible. But it's not really me. Mm-hmm. Um and I found that, you know, I really, really enjoyed the professionalism of that community, which yeah, is like absolutely. you you go there to work and then you're done and then you hang out and it's great, which was very different from like the mindset of like, yeah, we're going to go to rehearsal and like maybe screw around a little bit and then like, okay, maybe rehearse a tune or two. No, it was like rehearsal was like you show up, the music director had these notes for you. If like you messed up, like, oh, you got to do here, here, here and here. It's like, boom. And for somebody who like really enjoys that treating music very seriously, that was a great community. But at the same time, the music was not, not my music. Mm. Like, um, I, I, it just didn't really feel like, you know, I was playing upright bass for most of it and I'm not an upright bass player. Mm -hmm. Um, so it felt like I had a certain point and I was working with these, uh, two amazing singers, um, twin singers, Will and Anthony Nunziata, and they're just amazing people and great singers, but I had to basically stop working with them, not because of anything that they were doing, but it was just not the right music for me. Yeah. Like, um, I wasn't really playing my instrument. I wasn't really playing, uh, the stuff that I wanted to do. And yeah, I just kind of had to leave it behind. Um, it's a great scene. Like musical theater is really great for somebody who needs to make money and who needs that environment of professionalism and Mm. wants a very like, um, Ford, I don't know, like a good community, but yeah, it's like the closest <clears throat> thing to a a nine to five job. Yeah, but it, for musicians, it definitely is, and it's like a good nine to five job, a, a really good nine to five job. The days are long, the rehearsals are are really really long, and then show days. I mean, however long the run is, I know that some people do it for years and years and years. I mean, twenty five years if you're in Les Misérables. Um, oh my god. I know the same some some <clears throat> of the band members twenty five years the same same well, piece of music yeah uh, there's great stories of like the like string sections of like uh, I don't know Phantom of the Opera like you know they have everything memorized so they're just reading books during the entire yeah, time yeah yeah <laughs> I I mean I was really envious of uh, hearing about pit players that could do that or even just you know they knew they weren't in certain numbers because the musical I was in I was on stage mm-hmm. so it could always be seen. Mm. And then also it was solid guitar for, for the two hours. Um, yeah, I think uh, that hustle, I, the, the show notes, the show notes afterwards, getting that email every mm. night and realizing like, I never got it right, ever. I never had a perfect production uh, um, performance. It was, uh, it was hard. It was so hard. I was so out of my depth, but... Um, incredibly enjoyable like and also the actors musician and actors musicians and actors are very different people Mm. and I enjoy that so much because often we get 
group together quite a lot, oh, like hey. music and drama. Da, 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 da. Um, actors breed. are a different breed, and it's really fascinating to see that. Um, you know, like professional actors. These guys were. Um, I mean, a few of them have become leads in West End musicals since. Um, except it was four years ago, or three years ago now. Um, the the level of professionalism was so high in rehearsals, and then the level of fun was insane. They had oh so God. much fun, they, they, and they partied they so party. hard. And yet they could wake up the next day and they could go back to work. Whereas I was there being like, I am dying. I'm dying a death. Um, but yeah, I mean, they are they are a different different breed for sure and it's, it's interesting because um i'm very introverted in general just as a person i don't really uh i don't really get energy from other people and mm. <laughs> uh actors they get energy from other people they really do. they do so it was pretty overwhelming in the beginning when i was like in that world but at the same time you know it really taught me how to get energy from other people um and it really taught me like just in general how to how to do that. It was, it was a good, very positive experience for me. But, um, yeah. And, and the thing is, is I, I know a lot of people who like still do those shows. Like, um, like I'm still like very much like adjacent to that scene. Like yeah. there's a lot of people, uh, Charlie Rosen is this guy who runs the eight bit big band. Who's like this, you know, it's a big band that does, um, that does like video game music. And, all of the musicians of that eight bit big band are all Broadway musicians that are like mm-hmm. doing this side thing. So it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting because a lot of the session scene in New York is very much tied up in musical theater and like vice versa almost. Um, cause that's, you know, that's where you work. It's either that or weddings, Ooh. weddings, and oh, corporate weddings. Gigs. <laughs> oh, weddings. I mean, I already, I, I know exactly what I do and don't want for my wedding after all those gigs. Ooh, yeah. Um, yeah, Charlie Rosen, uh, can, should we talk about um, the musical that we went and saw on oh, Broadway? Yeah, be, be More Chill, yeah. Be More Chill, which was insanely good. I assume it's still running. It isn't. It's not running? It's not running. No. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, Ticket no. sales were unfortunately not as good. Oh, really? Well. Yeah. Yeah, it closed, I think, in August. So Okay, all... so it had a pretty good run. Yeah, it, it had, and for like a Broadway musical, it had a very good run because uh, so many shows close after just like a month or two. Um, but yeah, Be More Chill was really interesting because I I knew like a lot of the people in the pit and yeah. we were invited, like we were social media influencers, <laughs> which I know. is why we got a ticket. I know. Which is kind of crazy because like, um, like I, I just wanted to go and hang out with like all like the pit in the yeah. back. But um, yeah, it was an amazing show. Um, very, very like, uh, well, it wasn't like, I wasn't, it wasn't our demographic. It was definitely like geared towards teenagers I feel like but the level of craft and like yeah execution was just awesome it was incredible and then being invited on the stage afterwards and then you know you looking at all the rig and stuff me looking at it being like I have no idea what's going on right now every musician had a different mac mini yeah dedicated to running a main stage set didn't they have two so if one oh right yeah one one went down the other one would so like every musician like there's like seven or eight people in the pit had two Mac minis. <laughs> it's, I mean, because failure is sense. not an option. Yeah. No, not at all. Not at all. To do the it, the show like has to keep going. Eight shows a week. Yeah. 
yeah, eight shows a week. The musical I was in was only seven shows a week. <laughs> That's still a lot. It's still a lot. It's a lot. And it meant that I could go home on the Saturday night and then come back Tuesday morning. So I actually had like a proper weekend where mm. I would just sleep. It was, it was, it was tough. Um, mm, that was a good musical. Oh, I'm sad. Are we allowed to talk about that? No, sure, I, I mean, it's, it's, it's like... fact. <laughs> Otherwise we're just going to be like repping this musical that isn't even available to be seen anymore. Um, do yeah. you know what I have booked okay going off on a tangent because it's just going to demonstrate my love for Sarah Bareilles um, I've booked to see Sarah Bareilles on the oh. West End oh, in, nice. in Waitress the oh. musical she wrote what a goddess I can't wait I can't I cannot wait I cannot wait I get to see her do her actual thing that she wrote it's just going to be incredible that's really awesome uh, she hangs out at Rockwood Music Hall like no so, like I've seen her there a couple times no yeah, yeah. I don't know what I'd say to her um, um, <laughs> um, remember that hi. time you were in Waitress? Um, um I was there. I was, was there awesome. in the audience. <laughs> that was so cool. I love your music. <laughs> Honestly, her music, the album she did um, this year, uh, Amidst the Chaos, has literally been my album of the year. I'm it's so beautiful. It, yeah. T-Bones Burnett produced it. Um, it's really rootsy. Well, mm. not, no, it's not rootsy, rootsy, but it's like, it's mainly guitars, band, like... The, the, you'd recognise all the musicians who played on it. It was like legendary, legendary players, legendary session players. Um, anyway, off on a cerebralis tangent. It's, it's a good Love tangent. Her. She is She's very good. She is very, very good. Humble, good performer, real singer. She's a real singer. She is not a pop singer. She's a real singer. Shots fired, but I definitely agree with you on that one. Yeah, but like I want to be um, another one. I'm completely fascinated with, again, another real singer, Brandy Carlisle. Brandy Carlisle, yeah. I want to be <laughs> in a room where either of those women are singing just to hear their voice. And it's kind of exciting that they are at the top of the heap. Like, they are actually crushing it. Gives me hope. Not that I am in the same vein of them but, at I all. But, I mean, you know, golds. Hashtag goals. Goals. Hashtag goals. I'm looking at the track listing for Amidst the Chaos. Uh, we've got John Legend. we got Emily King. we got... But look at the session players. They're the, they're the featured artists. Oh. Emily King. Oh my God. It doesn't list the session players on Wikipedia? Screw you. Come on, man. <laughs> Come on. I'm sure it's something amazing. Um, I, think it, I think it was at the bottom. Oh. Oh, I see. Okay, yeah. I've already done my research. That's okay. why. Yeah. Cool. Anyway, get off your phone. <laughs> All right, get off yeah. your phone. Back to the podcast. Um, <clears throat> you see, that's the advantage of having no video here, is I can just be scrolling on my phone while you're, you're talking. <laughs> you can just be texting someone and I just have to keep the show <clears throat> rolling. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, yes, Sarah Bareilles. I mean, she took five years to write that musical, and then it has been a success. I can't wait to see it. Anyway, <laughs> what else do we want to talk about? Uh, well, I mean... One of the advantages of this podcast thing is we can just talk about what we normally talk about, which is literally what we've been talking about right now, which is YouTube. By the way, check out Sarah Bareilles. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting too. Like, for you, let me ask you this question. When you're traveling, Mm -hmm. how is your work ethic in terms of like what you're able to create? Like... You're, you're here, you got like your fancy setup that you recorded in that like studio. You got your like big PC thing. You got all that stuff. But if you're just like traveling, which you do sometimes, you're traveling a little bit in like the next couple of weeks. Um, what is your 
like how do you feel your ethic in terms of creating YouTube videos it has been affected? Has it been affected? Um, I haven't missed any days. Um, and usually, you know, if you're on a plane, you feel obligated to edit or mm, whatever. And that's yeah. quite good. Um, I think luckily I have traveled a lot for work over the past few years, whether it was with Shaw or whether it's now on my own volition, um, th that it doesn't really bother my work ethic at all. It actually makes me possibly work harder mm. because there aren't as many temptations. I mean, there are temptations in terms of hanging out with people, seeing new things, being a, a bit of a tourist every so often. Um, but no, really, like I know exactly what I need to survive um, to get the video out. Mm -hmm. And luckily it's quite a basic minimal setup. Um, so what I'm going to be doing in the next few weeks is a little bit daunting because usually when I'm traveling, I'm just going to make videos or just like um, see people or have meetings or, or whatever, or just be traveling for the sake of it. Um, whereas I'm going to be, hopefully, if it all gets confirmed, I think I'm still waiting on confirmation, so I don't want to say anything just yet, but um, this upcoming tour where I'll be support act possibly driving myself mm, yeah because there might not be space in the van and then um uh yeah and then vlogging but it's important that i just go and i just i'm just solid i'm just going to be solidly working for that week um and just get it done and then just come back not what maybe not worry about editing so much yeah but um the editing is the thing that gets me on the road. Like I yeah. can, I can film anything. Like yeah. um, I can set up shots. I can set up like GoPros or whatever, but then to have the uh, wherewithal to uh, actually get all that footage uh, like transferred and then collated and then start coming through to see the good moments. And like yeah. when your headspace, especially touring, like I have a tour coming up with my own music and sun gazer. Um, and one of the things that we're doing is we're having a, um, we're having a uh, videographer come along with us for the sole purpose of actually like making the um oh mary's gone up so what's happening right now is uh mary has left left the table because what i'm saying is so boring uh no she is actually getting coffee which is very very much necessary anyway okay so i got a videographer that's coming along with us that is going to be helping out with all this stuff <clears throat> and Thanks to the fine folks at Patreon for supporting Liz Maney. Liz Maney's uh, paycheck will be coming directly from Patreon. Um, but it, it's it's just a lot. Like uh, there's this thing in um, this book called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance, which is this book um, that has very little to do with Zen or motorcycle maintenance. But there's this idea in it that's um, thank you. I just got coffee. There's this idea in it where the author is describing the concept of gumption. Like, do you have the gumption to do something? And I, I think a word I use is wherewithal or headspace. And your head can't be in more than one or two places. And especially if you want to do it like hardcore, if you want to just like do the thing. I want to tour. I want to like focus on my music mm -hmm. on tour. I don't mm -hmm. want to focus on creating a YouTube video on tour. I want to just make my own damn thing. And yet at the same time, I want to make that video about tour. Yeah. 
It's just I can't make it while on tour. I think the important <clears throat> thing is to remember the distinction between the two audiences. So you kind of have to, and I, I've only done one tour where I tried to vlog. I was like, I'm going to do, I'm doing five shows in five days. So I'm going to have five great videos. <laughs> and then I came back and I barely had one. <sighs> I barely had one video. Um, and that's why Casey Neistat, like you, as a musician, you can't look at him because when he makes a, when he makes a video, he's not toting gear he's not like the only thing on his mind is creating that video whatever that is i'm so jealous of his airport setup where it's like a little carry-on and then his vlogging camera yeah like imagine a guitar in that mitt like you can't mm, do it i've nope. tried i mean i also i'm not a man i'm not strong enough to be able to do that um yes and a, a pedal board like even yeah, if you're having it. a fly rig like there's just no way um so yes the the and grit and uh, but uh, so back to the audiences yeah. before I lose my my train of thought um you have to do your job for the audience that is coming out to see you physically yeah and then you also have to do your job in not delivering crap to your online audience mm -hmm. by uploading a, a crappy vlog every day yeah like it would it wouldn't be as attentive as it would be if you just store that footage, have something else going on in the back burner, you know, that you can upload in advance of the tour, then go on tour. It's actually why um, I like the idea that we can choose when we tour rather than having to be on the road 365 days of the year, like some musicians have to, because that is their bread and butter. Yeah. But for us, luckily, it's also worthwhile being at home to make videos. Yeah. I mean, remember when, if you think that you can do it, if you think that you can vlog and tour at the same time, which I think is the holy grail for, like, for us, and also for, like, Rhett Scholl, who somehow has managed to do it to a very high degree, uh, just know from the people who are doing it that it is just impossible. It's, like, it's impossible to do a, a daily vlog while on tour. Yeah, um, most definitely. Even if you're, like, and in, in you're, you're going as an artist, and I'm going as an artist, too, so my headspace has to be in, like, all right, this is my music. I yeah. have to create my music. Rhett's going as a sideman and even, you know, and he's... Which I think is more pressure. Wh yeah, there there is a certain pressure there because then you can't, like, I can I can just be like, hey guys, here, here's the vlog. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Because I let my musicians know. He's, like He's on someone else's, you know, mm -hmm. he needs to do his best job and be at his best self for his artist, which yeah. I think is <clears throat> way, way harder than what I do. Like, I know what I can get away with but if there was someone else being like, hey, can you just do your job for me? Because I need to be able to perform to my best self. Yeah. And if you're over there vlogging I, all the time. I definitely annoyed some people doing that. Because I yeah. do vlogs for side, a sideman. But then when the vlog goes live and then they get a bunch more followers, they're like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Which has been a very strange dynamic, let me tell you. Because yeah. um, a lot of the time, you know, people will hire me not knowing that I have a YouTube channel, which is less and less now but um such a big deal uh, yeah well shut up um less and less now but like i like that feeling though i like the feeling of being valued because i can play bass well not because i have an audience um and i, I really hold on to that we were talking earlier like my value comes like my personal value in terms of like what i i, I want to be respected by my peers and i don't yeah. consider my peers to be um I mean, I consider my peers to be YouTubers for sure, but there's not that many of you guys. Uh, my peers, I feel like, are musicians and like people mm -hmm. who really like put in the work and put in the energy and really, really know their craft. And I would love to be respected by them, not necessarily because of the YouTube channel. And so it always feels nice when I'm hired for something not based on that, 
but like, hey, I can play bass pretty decently. <laughs> yeah, that goes back to the thing that I found recently, um, a job that I got offered that I've had to turn down. Oh, yeah. Uh, they didn't know who the hell I was, which was quite well, cool. That's, that's nice, yeah. Which was great, which was great. I mean, I, they don't need to know who the hell I am. That's so <laughs> egomaniac. But um, yeah, I think, and I I have realized, I've, cha- I've changed my opinion on something that we were talking about earlier this week. Um, I was kind of, I mean, I was like, well, I only really care about what my audience thinks about me. And then I was panicking, having a pedal board panic because of what I will be doing again with an artist that I'm not allowed to just confirm yet. I just, I was suddenly like, but I only just want to be loved by him. And I think you turned around and you were like, yeah, so you, yeah. Yeah. That's what I was saying about, I want to be admired by my peers. Um, not yeah. admired, respected. Um, respected. I mean, that that goes for anything like but, but I yeah. think the good thing about it is that um the the nicest thing I think and you must have this confidence too is to be able to turn up to certain things and be able to switch on all the all the history that you've had by being a musician without having an audience mm-hmm. to just go back to that and just be like I'm a professional I can turn this on I will I will get the the take yeah I will do the performance I'll do it to the best of my ability just you know, you don't have to almost worry. And I think um, that luckily I feel very fortunate that I've made a lot of mistakes. I know my limits. I can, I know when I'm going to shine and when I'm not, and I'm trying to just sort of limit the moments where I'm not going to shine. So it's just like um, uh, going back to Anderton's, we were doing a cover song and I just felt myself switch. Like Mm. I, I went from being, Oh, ha- us having fun, us having a few coffees, having a few laughs to all of us. We all switched into professional musicians mm-hmm. as the camera turned on. And like we, we had to do multiple takes because we were still coming up with the arrangement and we'd hit rolling. But everything was pretty damn consistent. Mm-hmm. And um, I was just like, if you are trying to be a musician YouTuber, the one thing you have to do is be a musician first. Mm. And I think that that might be lost um, by some people but actually you'll get caught out. I think if, if you're not a professional musician and then you try and do a YouTube channel and then you get thrown into situations where you literally go in with no preparation because that is how the music industry works yeah. most of the time. You don't get luxurious rehearsal spaces and times and um, you just don't get it. There's just not enough hours in the day. So that's my one lesson of this podcast. Like go and be a musician, fail over and over again without being in the eyeline of a YouTube audience and also it's um why I answered a question last week where it was um I'm scared of that they were they found it daunting that they would be pumping out loads of content and no one would be watching and I was like that is the best time that's the time you need yeah and people should only <clears throat> and people will only start watching um when you are ready to be watched yeah so that's a good yeah that's a great one People will start watching when you're ready to be watched. Yeah. Um, think about a, uh, a musical instrument. If you play yes. a guitar for one year, is anybody going to care about what you have to say on your instrument? Probably not. If you only make YouTube videos about guitar playing for one year, uh, is anybody going to care? Um, unless you are incredibly... I mean, probably the fastest growing channel I've ever seen is Rhett Shul. And the only reason why he's grown that fast, and it's like in two years is because one, he 
has been working on his trade for a long time because he's mm-hmm. a protege of Rick Beato. And two, like he is an amazing guitar player, first of, first and foremost, so he really knows what he was doing going into it. Um, I've had a YouTube channel for 13 years. I've been doing this for a second, to, to say, like 13 and a half years. Yeah, we need to make that known because last night we got into a rabbit hole of watching our old videos oh, yeah. and, and being embarrassing. Um, you were uploading possibly once, if not more. It's about a once a month, yeah. And you were actually making real theory lessons. I was making like lessons, but it was all... You know, um, it was all just talking to a webcam, but at the same time I was practicing Still. my delivery. I was practicing yeah. like how to organize information, um, you know, practicing teaching. I was also making little music videos, practicing like just, you know, music production, music, like just how, how to write a, like a jazz fusion song or something. Uh-huh. Um, I'm glad that not a lot of people have seen those things. Although at the same time, I'm pretty proud of them. Uh, they would not go viral now. Nobody would watch them now. But at the same time, that was me shedding my skill of like how to make yeah. a YouTube video. You don't, you don't want to go viral with those videos either. You never want to go viral. Viral, I mean, it, Actually, virality is like the worst <clears throat> thing. Um, yeah. one, uh, one person I do want to mention as well because of him growing so quickly was Paul Davids. Paul Davids, for sure, yeah. He, he grew so insanely. I, went to, I met him at Montreux Jazz Festival because when I was working for Shore, I got to invite him. And it was it was a way of me meeting him too. Um, yeah, why didn't you invite me? Uh, I think I didn't have the budget to get an American over. <laughs> you and got a Canadian I, over. <laughs> I did get a Canadian over, but he's way better than you. Um, uh, <laughs> um, so Mary Paul came Spender over. Andrew Wong is better than me. Well, that's true. Well, that is true. You think that too? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's um, good. Paul came over. Um, he had six hundred thousand YouTube subscribers. Then, within a year, he's at one one he was at 1.3 he he more than doubled um that guy knows how to make a youtube video he knows how to make a youtube He's video a very good but YouTuber. but if he wasn't um a, an unbelievably hard-working musician where he was you know i've spoken to him about his story he's spoken about his story on on youtube videos um he worked so many hours <laughs> squeaky microphone you moved it and then it didn't go anywhere um he his his however many people he has taught just translates and it's just like again he's demonstrating that he did the work Mm -hmm. before he started making youtube videos i can't i can't you know there's still so much work that i need to do behind the scenes and it's actually at that sort of crossroads where it's like how much of this do i document and how much of this do i just I just need to do the work behind the scenes. Um, yeah. Same with practicing guitar. Like I need to practice guitar way more than I am, um, but I don't need to document it. Yeah. I started documenting it, and then I was like, no, 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 no. This is this is my behind the scenes work. Mm, yeah. Well, an interesting thing about like what's behind the scenes and what isn't is like I'll still do the odd wedding or corporate gig, um, mm-hmm. not necessarily for the money because. Shout out to my Patreon subscribers. I don't need the money. Thank you guys. You guys are lovely. Um, but it's it's really to stay connected, to keep my chops up. I mean, when I was playing like two or three weddings a week, this was a couple of years ago, uh, you know, I was making fair amounts of money, but my chops were, like I, I could play very well because I was playing for so long, like every week. And the music was like, all right, you know, playing Stevie Wonder Superstition for the 10 trillionth time. But at the same time, you can get better at your craft when you're doing that. Um, and to not constantly be doing that, to not constantly be working as your craft as a musician, it atrophies a little bit. I think Paul 
still might do the occasional. Like, he does. Yeah, the occasional yeah. corporate gig. Uh, you know, it's not for the money. It's for the. Uh, it's to feel connected to the your peers. It's yeah. feel connected to your instrument too. It's where I've. Um, it's where I lack actually because I wasn't I, I tried being a session musician wasn't very good at it um because I, you know I just wanted to be this I just wanted to be the star of the show yeah. um so I was doing the four-hour cover sets but it got confusing when I was doing cover sets as Mary Spender mm. people did start turning up like three people would turn up but they would turn up and it just felt a bit confusing and then I would get hired for weddings um under my little guys I did a I had a little side name where it was like girl and a guitar <laughs> dot com nice <laughs> i don't oh, think i've ever though. revealed that i mean it was literally what i was um that's a good yeah brand name if you're trying to hide your artist name yeah but then people would tag the wrong thing anyway it just got complicated so what i have kind of decided to do is do um more gigs by jumping on people's tours trying you know that's imp- actually next to impossible to really do but luckily hopefully this one tour will work out and then doing the headline show and making sure that I actually um one thing I really want to do is do maybe a monthly show yeah somewhere in a different city do it like a residency somewhere yeah it will be well it won't won't necessarily be in the same place um because I kind of want to do a, a tour-esque thing but without yeah gigging yeah without gigging consecutively Mm. because it's just not it's it's tough it's tough to do the vlogging the vlogging thing um so i don't want to distract from all the other things i've got going on um but that's that's definitely a goal of mine but anyway yeah i mean it's it's an interesting thing because there really are two two lives that are being led um when I vlog a gig or vlog something that I'm performing at, at which I am performing, uh, some of the gigs I've vlogged have had 20 people in the audience. And yet the YouTube video that I made about it has been seen 300,000 times. I'm going to try yeah. that again without my voice cracking. 300,000 <laughs> times. To me, that is, is wild. Like there is, there is a... Um, different reality almost being portrayed because you know at the gig 20 people like politely clapping not really paying attention just kind of there hanging out um where the actual music's being made like the actual exciting thing the thing that i feel like passionate about and like you know good music is being made but then you edit and you craft a vlog about it and then people care about it Mm. which is strange um i'm very grateful that people care about it and i put a lot of energy to try and make the vlog edits something that people care about but there is a disconnect for sure um hopefully less and less as i get to play my own music more and more and more people are coming out to listen to Sungazer um versus like you know just happening on me like in some restaurant or bar gig or something like that yeah. but um this past just to bring it back around uh the reason why i'm in the uk is i'm just stopping over here because i played a jazz festival in Ireland, Cork, Ireland. And it was, a, it was interesting because, you know, I let people know that I was going to be playing there. Like I just gave my like uh, sheet of all these bar gigs I was playing and people showed up. Um, <laughs> there was this group of kids down from uh, Dublin who are like in the jazz society at I think whatever school that they were at. And they were just like, anytime anybody quoted the lick, they would just start like howling. And, like <laughs> That's cute. But guys, this is like, it's, you know, it's a, I'm used to playing the background, like, wallpaper gig that nobody's paying attention to. So it's a very strange, like, thing, because nobody 
unless they know the lick and have, are fans of my channel or whatever, this is very strange for them because they're just a bunch of people who are there for a pint in the afternoon mm. for Jazz Fest. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's it's strange, and I'm not sure if I'm ever gonna like get used to it, but it's fun. So. Yeah, I think um, the there are some musicians obviously that have used YouTube to a point and then they move on and then they become a successful touring artist. Um, I don't know if we want to do that sort of thing, but I I definitely want to be gigging more. Yeah. And that's why I put myself a little bit out on the line um, with this London show. And it's, it's Oh, you'll, quite, you'll sell that out. I, right. I wonder if I will. What, uh, yeah. It's well, 160 capacity. Oh my God, you got that. But it's a Saturday night. You got that. There's another show going on. You got that. This is my there's a million. There's a million shows going on in set on That's London true. on Saturday night. That's true. Jeez. I can't remember who it was though. Someone was just like, oh, I've already got, uh, I've already got tickets to Alterbridge, and I was like, okay. That's Great. I love that about my audience that they have <clears> such <throat> a range of genres that they like for for to like Alterbridge and then to like me. It's cool. It's really cool. That's thanks to all the the metal stuff I've been involved in on YouTube though. Yeah, it's weird, like, being adjacent to the metal scene. I love it. Yeah, it's great. I love that scene. I cannot get over how beautiful and accommodating they are and how they really, um, they vie for the underdog, I think. Is that the right way to put it? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because metal musicians are lovely, lovely human beings. They for are. the most part. Well, yeah, well, and also, there are exceptions to the rule. Yeah, and also, you know, it, with any musician or anybody who is, like, knows thyself and like really is confident in what they do. They're not going to project their insecurities on any other people. And I feel like most of the metal musicians I've like hung out with are just very lovely, quiet, calm people. Cause they get all that aggression out on stage. Yeah. And also the, uh, I mean, the professional metal community are virtuosos. Oh, amazing. So they've done the work, they've put in the hours and hours and hours that it takes to get that they haven't done it by mistake um yeah. the the metal community in terms of the audience i think also appreciate that hard work also i think for a long time they were ignored mm, yeah and so something like youtube comes along where it's just and like, now it's very much like now it's in vogue and very exactly yeah, yeah. so it gives me so much faith for any weird and wonderful um genre of music or genre of anything like anything you're interested in the internet has your back i love it i love that about it um yeah what else do we need to talk about i mean we we can just keep going and talking about anything i know, I know but how long is this podcast well, i suppose it's 50 minutes at the moment oh it's good great let's do more okay so what are we talking about now <laughs> the history of youtube all right in the beginning on november 20 2005 was yours 2005? No, that's when YouTube started. All oh, right, okay. But somebody uploaded a video of them near a seal, like in a zoo. Anyway. Should we talk about the rabbit hole that we went down the other day? Actually, I started watching otter videos. <laughs> <laughs> but the oh. nice ones, and we don't need to talk about the oh. horrible ones we saw. We oh, don't need was, to talk about oh, that. Oh, man. We do not need to talk about okay, that. Okay, so I will, still, I will say this. No. The algorithm is insane <laughs> sometimes. I know. <laughs> Absolutely insane. Also, there are things that... You know, the back to the a career is defined by the things you don't do just as much as the things you do. We could make so much more money if we put up otter and orangutan videos or whatever that video was that we saw that had millions and millions of hits. I was just like, I want to seek out. You know what we could do? We could all make carbon fiber videos. All right. All right. (laughs) (laughs) We could just do that. I should do that. No, I'm I'm not going to do that. (laughs) That would be funny if you. If you just suddenly had it, I could just pass that around the world. 
No, I don't want to do that. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of work. That Although that would like be a good video, though. That would be nice. But, but you know. Effort. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> I love the, the gentle burn, but I'm so happy with it because I finally, finally joined the Million Club. Yeah. Sorry. How two, does it? Sorry. How does it? <laughs> two, 2. 2.2 million. It, there's no feeling. Like, I'm dead inside when I see that number. When I see any number, it's like, okay. It's like, in the beginning, um, it was a big part of it. When you're starting out, you want to become big. You want to, like, become greater than you are. You have this very, you have this excitement in you to, like, burning desire to create something or, like, especially as a musician, like, to be as fast or as intricate or as emotive or just write like you know you want to superlatives everything is superlative and what youtube has done and what the social media economy has done is you put a number next to every piece of art like everything there's a number you see and that's that's number says like all right this is how good this thing is basically um even if you don't actually believe it there's some sort of psychological thing that happens where you're like all right well you know I guess 2.2 million, 2.7 million, 5.3 million. It is that good of a video. It is that good of a piece of art. And um, there's this, uh, I'm going to butcher this idea, but there's this idea of like, all right, throughout history, there's been like three different kinds of um, ways that we worship or ways that we like find meaning outside of ourselves. Uh, There's the religious aspect where you try and find like, okay, the gods like, um, that's they control our destiny like the gods control our destiny and like we we must bow to the gods uh then there's a humanist way of thinking about things where it's like well no it's not the gods that control our destiny it's us so we must like exalt ourselves and like bring ourselves up and now there's the third way of thinking about it which is the dataist way of thinking about it Whoa, so yes. we talk about this all the time <clears throat> where like we we talk about the algorithm as like this almost the supernatural being like what does the algorithm like about our videos? Like, how do we get the algorithm to promote our videos? What, like, sacrifices must we make to the algorithm, like, as we bow to it? And we, all of our worth is based on the analytics and, like, whether or not, not all of our worth, but this is kind of, like, the mindset, the professional mindset that we have is based on that number. And um, it's draining. It's very draining. But at the same time, that's kind of like how we're, approaching like how everybody's approaching this is the numbers and how we appease the artificial intelligence which is recommending our videos to the masses yeah exactly yeah, yeah. um that's interesting i i love this book i love this book um big magic by elizabeth gilbert go on about it all yeah, yeah. Of, all the time you were talking about it earlier um i know i know it's my favorite um she talks about the difference of how we used to um if you had genius, you weren't a genius, you had genius Mm. and it was reliant on the gods gifting you that genius. You were with the gods, the gods gifted this thing to you. You could never take sole responsibility for producing this piece of art, piece of work, whatever. It was reliant on you being blessed by the gods. Then in the enlightenment, we decided that we were the genius and it was all down to the individual. Mm. And psychologically, that's really unhealthy. Yeah. <laughs> because if you start saying, well, I'm, I'm the big deal. It's all down to me. It's like you just become a wanker. And I'm going to say that because that is that's true. But now this whole data thing, I wonder, 
And I, I sort of think maybe this is the, the generation of, in kind of, how do I put this? I need to think before I speak. No. Um, <laughs> which is a, a mistake I make often uh, that I don't. Um, it's almost like it's YouTube is producing um, a very humble creator because you get humbled by YouTube every day. So you get, yeah. you almost, not, not everything is successful on YouTube that you do. You kind of have to feed the algorithm. We've been talking about this a little bit in terms of what you want out of YouTube, yeah. what I want out of YouTube and what, how other people are working. I want to put out videos that sometimes I know will fail because they make me happy mm. um, in terms of like putting out an audio, an audio video of a song. Like yeah. that's just good for me to have that out there to be credible, even if it gets you know, even 10,000 hits is a mad amount of hits really when I think about it. But in comparison to some of the other videos, it's not, it's not deemed successful. Yeah. But I love the failing aspect. Yeah. So the idea mm -hmm. of like creating a humble creator. Um, or maybe the, a humbled creator. Yeah. Because <laughs> it, it's, it's quick. Like um, when a musician releases a piece of art, you know, you're not the cycle is not like once every week or once every couple of days when a youtuber creates I don't want to call what we do art but maybe it is art when we create a piece of content uh you immediately know and we immediately know within an hour how good it's going to be like the youtube's algorithm gets set within the first hour of something's being released and in that first hour you get an immediate feedback on was it good or not um and that it's hard sometimes because like if you've spent, um, you know, if you spent some, you know, some of my, uh, more intricate videos take, you know, 40, 50 hours to like really put together, maybe a lot longer too. And then immediately you say like, okay, publish. Oh crap. All of that was not worth as much as anything else. And this is like back and forth thing where you get the feedback so quickly and then you're expected to just bounce back from that immediately. Mm. Um, it, it's hard. Um, and it's different. I think that's the reason why we talk about it. It's different than anything else. Yeah. Like, if you release a song, like, you're not going to get that feedback immediately. And then also you're not expected to write a new song for no. next week. Like, Katy no. Perry's not having a new song every week. Like, no, that's not how it works. Um, that's definitely how the YouTube system works. And it's it, it's different. Yeah, yeah. it is different. It's very, very different. And I think it's important. It's an important distinction to make because, but also you're not able, and I, I want to, I want to get better at this. I want to plan things more in advance and like work longer on videos without doing them last minute. Like I do. I'm lastminute.com. Um, Love that website. I mean, I wish they sponsored me. I say it too much. Um, <laughs> I'm like, I am lastminute.com all the time. Um, I, I, can never put in more hours than there is in a, in a, in a week because I'm never far enough ahead. And that's the nice thing about music is that because no one does expect you to deliver it every week. Although, you know, if you listen to someone like Gary Vaynerchuk, he's there being like, you should be putting out a new song every day. This is how, this is how it's changing. He's not a, he's not a musician though. Well, no. And also there, there are ways of putting out a song a day. It's just not going to be, it's going to be crap. It's, well, it's going to be a different kind of song. It might be a yeah. parody song or something like yeah. that. Um, so having, both I think for us is very healthy um, to be able to have these longer arching 
projects mm -hmm. over the consistency of YouTube. And, you know, 40 hours into a video is a lot of hours into one video, but that's not how many hours we'd be put into a, a feature film. Obviously, they're, they're different art forms. Yeah. Um, but I just think it's it's quite interesting how maybe those time limits help us be more productive. It definitely helps me be more productive and helps me know my limits, learn more, fail more over and over again. And it, it kind of means that you can bounce back. Yeah. Way quicker. Bouncing I, back. It, I know that I have the resilience now mm -hmm. to fail over and over and over again and be fine. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I was freaking out last last night because like my video my video didn't do as well. It's underperforming by 30%. Like, get a break, dude. Like, move on. Um, well, then we spoke about um, the, where you find the enjoyment. So yeah. really it's, I mean, and it's something I have to tell myself every time. And so this is more me telling myself than telling you because um, you have to find the enjoyment in actually making the piece of work. And actually, if you haven't found the enjoyment in making the piece of work, that's when it kind of sucks more. When, yeah. when either it does badly or when it does well. Yeah. Because like, you're like, ah, oh, I just, it doesn't really matter either way where this goes. I didn't enjoy making it. Yeah. But if it does well, you're like, ah, oh, man. I put no effort into that. All the other things I put effort into haven't done that well. And then it's like this other thing. So what I'm trying to tell myself is that if I don't enjoy the video, then I need to change my work behind making the video to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to, even just starting next week's video before last minute. Yeah. It's just, it is now important so I can actually put in the right amount of time and also think on it because you need to sleep on ideas sometimes. Mm -hmm. You need to let them... Um, sit with you a while for it to be really extraordinary yeah and that's one thing that i i'm i dislike about the weekly schedule is because the only way that i can really feel like it's uh, an idea is lived in is if it's on my mind for a long time and i'm thinking about that idea over and over again about the different ways the different like scenes the different jokes the, all the little things that i want to add um and i can do that if that's literally the only thing that i'm doing in my entire life if I'm just making YouTube videos, but I'm not, I'm also trying to make music too and have my musical career <laughs> on top of my YouTube career. So it's an interesting balance between the two of them. And because of that, I have to like certain weeks do, um, well, they're not really filler videos, but they're videos that don't require as much like thought and energy to like really get right. Yeah. And those are like maybe Q and A videos or some things that, I still put a lot of energy into the edit and like figuring out exactly what I want to say, but it, it's like, I'm not the, um, it's not on my mind for that entire week. No. Um, it's on my mind for like three or four days. Yeah. I also find that if the idea is on your mind, you cannot, you cannot be satisfied until that idea is made and yeah. the, the emptiness you feel after you've actually created the thing that has been on your mind for all that time. I've got the one the video I was talking about. Yeah, earlier. yeah, yeah. Um, that's been on my mind for four months and I just haven't made it yet. Mm, yeah. And I, I'm just deliberating a stupid thing about which piece of gear to use <laughs> when really I should just sit down, make the video yeah. and let it do its thing and get out, get out of my way to move on to the next thing. Yeah, for sure. Mm. I mean, the, um, like I, I just had an idea for something that I, need to make it's a lot of the time also it's like i know my schedule for the next week and it's crazy like yeah. i i am just traveling and tour prep and like a lot of stuff i just don't have time to make the video that i want to make for this coming 
Monday. And um, the problem is, well, like I could just delay it for a week. I could just like wait a week. But then the problem then is the uh, the algorithm screws with my channel. Like if I haven't been uploading as much, um, it dislikes when I haven't been uploading as much. So I really should upload on Monday. Um, so there's there's that calculus too. Like I am worshiping the algorithm. Yeah. What what does the algorithm want me to do? Well, the algorithm want, in this case wants me to do like let's ask the Ouija board or whatever. Uh, it wants me to make something that I know like that I it wants me to make one video versus another basically. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I have to do that. <laughs> yeah, I think um, you also have to learn to forgive yourself. Like if you can't make the video mm -hmm. that you want to make, then you do have to put it on the back burner. And find other filler videos. Filler videos. They're still extraordinary. We, we but... call them filler videos because Andrew Wong makes filler videos all the time. But they're incredible. Like every one of us makes filler videos. It's hard you to really... You have to. Yeah, you have to to be able to survive on this platform. You and have to be able to make filler videos. And it's hard to... Like we know what a filler video is. Like yeah. I, I'll watch a video. I was like, oh, that's a filler video. But the, the level of craft and like attention to detail in one of those videos is insane. Um, because you're making a video it's hard to even say what a filler video is because it's not a like, can I swear on this podcast? Yeah, I did. All right. It's not a bullshit video. Um, cause it's not, but it's a filler video. It's a video that you make because you're working on other bigger things and you want to still give people something still yeah. like give people like an idea that you're working on. Like, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's, let's do this thing. Um, and it's better to have made it than to have not made it. So Yeah. Um, I, so. think, I think, yeah, I agree. <clears throat> and also I think that's a good note to end on. It's better to have made it than not made it. Well, yes. And you can't be perfect all the time. True. Because except, uh, it's subjective. Except me. Um, You're amazing. so perfect. I'm Let's so end perfect. on that note. Adam Neely is goddamn perfect. I am so perfect. <laughs> that's just going to be so sinister. I'm so sorry for him doing that. <laughs> Adam Neely ASMR. <laughs> that that is another way. That's a. There we go. We're going to end on this. Um, the a career is defined by things. The career is defined by the things you don't do, just as much as the things you do. Imagine if I made ASMR oh videos. Oh my god, you'd clean up. I know. I'd be a multi-millionaire. So there we go. I'm deciding not to do that. Yeah. Because I'd get found out immediately, and people would think I'm weird. Anyway, thanks for listening. Um, <laughs> uh, if you have been, if you've made it to the end. I want you to you. Um, literally comment on all our social media channels saying Adam Neely is perfect. That is how to end it. Yes. <laughs> Bye. Bye.